Take me to Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. This is the word of God. Let there, let, uh, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regards to festivals or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knitted together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Lord, please let your word be heard today. Let it rest on on our hearts and our minds. In the hearts and the minds of this body, let it be heard. And let us grow in confidence in you, Lord, and let us come to you. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I will never get used to doing this. A rabbi and a Catholic mystic walk into a bar. Probably never thought you'd heard a sermon start that way, would you? A rabbi and a Catholic mystic walk into a bar. They both belly up to the bar, and the rabbi, he orders the lamb and gawks at the picture on the menu of the shrimp wrapped in bacon. The Catholic mystic orders a kombucha and a vegan salad and glares in disdain at the rabbi who would be okay eating something that had to be killed. Once they both had ordered, the bartender asks them, knowing that they're men of faith or religion of some sort, how do I get to heaven? The rabbi says, well, you must follow these set of rules, and he slaps a large book on the table And he goes on, you must dress a certain way, eat a certain way, and regulate everything you do to become a perfect person, to be holy. The Catholic mystic, he scocks at the rabbi and says, no, no, listen, listen. Bartender, you must destroy all your earthly desires. You must become one with the spiritual world and find no enjoyment in the things of this earth. You must take a spiritual journey that leads to piety, Well, sitting on the far end of the bar was a bearded Reformed Baptist, a bald guy, a retired cop, and a blind man. (laughs) The bearded guy says, hold my beer, and then proceeds over to the two and says, you get into heaven by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and you can find this in scriptures alone for the glory of God alone. And then he shared with the bartender that he must repent of his sins and follow Christ. He then sat down back with his friends again and got debriefed and lectured and all the theology that he got wrong and the lack of love he showed in that conversation. I also need you all to know that Pastor Travis read this in advance. (laughs) And he actually added a little note, this is where I'm supposed to tear up and miss him because he's not here. So... Law and asceticism. 
That's what's being preached here, presented here. On one hand, you have people saying you must follow the rules established in the Old Testament. Now, on the other hand, people are saying uh, you must not partake of anything of the physical world and only live piously in the spiritual world. We heard Anthony preach on this in his last sermon, and today we'll see what Paul says to the church of Colossae about those who want to go back to the old rules and to those that think you must be pious and spiritual to be saved. So today I have three points. One will be the light has come. Point number two is Christ alone, not man. And point three, only Christ can save. Now since it has been a little bit since Anthony talked about the text before this, this one, and verse 16 starts with a therefore, let's review a little bit to see what that therefore is there for. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink and with regards to festivals or new moons or Sabbath. These are the shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So point number one, the light has come. The light has come. In verse 16 to 23, we see Paul building on something, expounding on something he said in verse 8. Verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human traditions, according to the, eternal, or the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So remember back with me when I preached in chapter 1, verses 24 to 29, I made the case that the church at Colossae was a young church, full of people in love with the Lord. But they needed to mature and continue to grow in their faith. My point that we, my point in that was that we all needed to continue and mature and grow with wisdom. The Colossians needed to be able to contend with the false teachers and against the people trying to persuade them with philosophy, human tradition, and living according to the elemental spirits. Here in verse 16 and 17, we see one of those false teachers or teachings, or we see one of those false teachings. There were false teachers, probably the Jews in the region, teaching that all the ceremonies and sacrifices still needed to be done despite the finished work of Jesus. I would go a little bit further and even say that it was some converted Jews in the church. It's the Christ and teaching. The false idea that you need Christ plus all the other regulations, things to be right with God. Well, what are these things, these, these rules that false teachers are telling the Colossians to observe? They're man-made, empty rules imposed by men. Like rules regarding food and drink. These rules were originally to set apart God's people from the rest of the world as a visible sign of who their Lord was. But we see in chapter 2 of the Colossians verse 11 that we've been marked and set apart by the spiritual circumcision of Christ. We no longer need those rules. These verses also lists observing festivals or new moons or a Sabbath. Well, what are those for? They all point to Christ. We have Christ now. Verse 17 goes on to say, these things were all shadows of Christ. I know we hear that phrase a lot, types and shadows, but let's be sure we all understand what we're talking about here. Imagine you're standing on top of the Grand Canyon. It's dark out. You know that there's a can canyon in front of you. You can hear the water flowing down below. You can see the dimly lit canyon walls as the moon bounces off them. You can hear the animals. You can smell the, the sage. 
you know there's a canyon there. You followed all the directions on Google Earth to get you there so you could have a camping trip. But it's dark out. You set up your tent so you can go to sleep. You're going to wake up in the morning. You're going to go hiking. And then the sun comes up, and boom, it hits you. You're struck by the massive size of it. It's absolutely stunning, beautiful. The depths of its walls, all the life moving about and around it. This is what the physical sun, not Christ, but the shining star did. It revealed the entirety of the Grand Canyon. This last weekend, I actually drove to uh, Kentucky, and it was the same thing. We crossed over the Mississippi at night and came back during the day, and at night we crossed over. It was a full moon. You could see the glare of the moon on the, on the river. It was beautiful. You could see where the banks were through the shadowing. But I couldn't fully understand the massiveness of it, the size of it, the beauty of it until I came back through it and it was daylight. And now you can see the greenery of the trees, and that, you know, that's a culture shock coming from Vegas. It's large, it's flowing, you can see the barges that you couldn't see previously, and the boats, the people fishing on the bank. Nothing, everything was already there, we just couldn't see it. This is what the gospel did. This is what the completed works of Jesus did. The Old Testament points to Jesus. There were shadows of him all throughout. You can see where there was this coming Savior in Genesis all the way to Malachi. Passover was pointing to Jesus. His blood covered our sins so that judgment will pass over us just as God passed over any house that had the lamb's blood on the doorpost in Egypt. Jesus is the lamb. And Jesus rescued us from what we deserved as sinners. Sacrifice for sin was pointing to Jesus' ultimate sacrifice to cover all our sins. The ram in the bush that was used instead of Isaac was pointing to Jesus as their substitute, giving his life that we may live. But the Jews couldn't see it. All they could do was be faithful and rest in God's presence. Then Jesus steps on the scene, and it all makes sense now. Some of you may have a tune that just popped in your head when I said that. Good for you. The Jews are in a dark room, and God turns on the lights, and now they could connect the dots. They could see the whole story. Everything was about Jesus, and now because of Jesus, they can see it. It's like when Paul is traveling to persecute more Christians, and Jesus appears as light. While blinding Paul, Jesus opens his eyes. As an educated, devout Jew, he knew his scriptures, and he still didn't believe. Paul was able to see the gospel, all of it, in its entirety, once Jesus shows up to him and sends him to hear the gospel. Think of Luke 24 when the two men are walking to Emmaus. They didn't realize that the man with them was Jesus because they were blind to him. In verse 25 through 27, it says, And he said to them, O foolish one, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ would suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus even says the scriptures point to Jesus. B.B. Warfield said, The Old Testament may be likened to a chamber richly furnished but dimly lit. The introduction of light brings into it nothing which was not in it before, but it brings out into clearer view much of what is in it, but was only dimly or even not at all perceived before. So why would you turn the lights back out? Why would you want to visit the Grand Canyon only at night? Why would you want to return to the old ways when you have Jesus in front of you? Jesus is the light that has come to illuminate the world. 
Jesus, God the Son, was given us, has given us a new covenant. He has marked his people. Don't go back to the laws and ceremonies of old. I know this seems obvious, but I'm here to tell you it's not. I know people right now that are in a church and believe they need to observe the Passover if they really want to be holy. It's an extra holiness sprinkled on top. It's in the sin nature of everybody to have harsh religious rules to follow to make themselves look more holy or wise instead of enjoying freedom in Christ. But, the whole, but to whom will they look good? To whom will they look good? Themselves? I mean, it's their rules, so it's their religion, and they're at the heart of it. It's self-made holiness and right, righteous living. This is not how we put on holiness. This is certainly not how we please God. Now, verse 18 goes on with a different kind of false teaching. It says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going, in de- going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So, point number two. Christ alone, not man. Christ alone, not man. Now we have the other side of the pendulum, asceticism. Now if you're a jarhead crayon eater like me and you went to public school, you have to Google that. You know, I have skills. I can control a man just with his nose. I can point you and guide you through the woods with just a compass, but words, words are hard. Did I delete out that definition? Okay, asceticism. Severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. The word is derived from a Greek term for athletic trainer. People that practiced this were thought of as spiritual athletes of the time. In today's world, it's the idea that people think Christianity is against any form of pleasure or enjoyment. It can be the idea that the body is shameful, worthless, or unimportant. The concept is the path to holiness is severe self-denial. With this definition, I want you to see these things as being braggadocious. It's people practicing asceticism for the world to see and then holding you to the same standard. This is why it says in the verse, let no one disqualify you. This thinking is rooted in Gnosticism and philosophy. All these philosophies regarding the physical world is inherently evil. People that practice asceticism thought that the only way to holiness was physical deprivation such as fasting, poverty, solitude, hard labor. They rejected things like marriage and family. These things made them more holy in their own eyes, and they used them as standards to apply to everyone else. Think about a Tibetan monk that eats only rice cakes and eats only the crumbs to sustain sustain himself. Or think about people that subscribe to removing anything enjoyable from, their, enjoyable from their lives. They can't indulge in pleasure of any kind, believing that the flesh is evil and all, the part, and all that partake in pleasure are slaves to the flesh. They believe themselves to be more spiritually close to God. They believe the flesh is meaningless or evil. They would veer away from scriptures that states Adam was made perfect in the image of God and would hate anything pointing to enjoying God's creation. This is really important to understand. Asceticism leads to the thinking that only the spirit matters and the only goal is to get to heaven. 
not Jesus, not to enjoy what Jesus made for us. It's about tearing apart the body from the spirit because the body is just a prison. This is dangerous. We need to know God made us body and soul. We are meant to exist in a physical state with a soul, perfectly made in the image of God. If we weren't meant to be on a physical plane with flesh, then Adam, pre-fall, wasn't created perfect. There would also be no reason to have a post-judgment new earth. Our final destination is not the ethereal world full of high-minded spirits. Asceticism can include both self-harming and character discipline through suffering. So why the self-harm? Well, there's two reasons. One, if you make yourself look more devout outwardly, or one is to make yourself look more devout outwardly. Perhaps you believe that because you deny yourself joys, you are better than others. Maybe you think you can say you're better than some people because you don't go down to the strip where all the city's filth is. So that makes you better than those that do. And maybe trying to make yourself look more pious, like the guy that has to tell everyone that he's fasting to hear from the Lord. They may be the ones that never shower or wash their clothes because the presentation, the presentation is meaningless and shows a desire to please those around them. And thank God we do not have those ones here. <laughs> the, second is the, truly the second is the truly humiliated oneself, to truly humiliate oneself, or, to, or seek to be a, as humble as one can be to the point of being as lowly in spirit as one can be. I have a mental image of Eeyore being pessimistic and down on life here. This is a spiritual harm that produces no Christian fruit, but appears to be heavy or weighty with the Lord. We also see in this verse a weird spiritualism with visions, praying to angels, and having sensuous minds. This would be the guy that tells you he has figured out the spiritual world after sitting on a red anthill and meditating in silence for hours connecting to Gaia. He relies on his feels instead of his intellect. This person may, feel, uh, might, may find spiritual awakening through sexual experiences or longer, harder fasting than the others and letting everyone know about it. They, uh, they may claim to know something of the spiritual world as revealed by angels and pray to them to intercede and weather for their crops. They are so spiritual and humble that they don't want to bother God with their problems, so they connect to the spiritual world like angels and in essence elevate them to a God status, even showing others that their faith is so full and round that they worship all things in the heavenly places, not just God. So let's address the first one, asceticism. While these folks would argue that we need to die to the flesh, they have completely misunderstood the concept. So I'm going to say this plainly. If you are a Christian and believe that Christ died for your sins, past, present, and future, and you understand that every single sin, from the smallest to the greatest, sends you to hell apart from Christ, then you must understand that, the puni that punishing yourself through self-made rules and spiritual harm is worthless, since said sin is paid for. What this thinking reveals is that you don't think that his death was enough. Secondly, if you're not truly in Christ, then nothing can save you. If you're in Christ, then all these attempts to look more holy or pious are useless. We know death is the required punishment for sin against a perfect and eternal God. Some sort of self-discipline or man-made rules is not enough, not even close, and therefore it is irrelevant. If you do this to be more pious, 
and it's self-serving, and it's not pointing to the glory of the Lord. It is living more militant without reason. The beauty of the cross is God's love and mercy for his people. Jesus' love and mercy ultimately point to his glory. Bask in his glory, for it is a benefit to you. And believe in the completed works of Jesus. Now let's address the worshiping of angels and sensuous minds. Worshiping of angels means placing angels in a position of authority over us and and creation that is not biblical. Angels cannot atone for our actions, control the reign, or the outcome of the battle apart from God's permission. They cannot intercede for us. This leads to idol worship akin to the worship of Mother Mary, the Pope, or even a golden calf at the foothills of Mount Sinai. But this was a problem in Paul's day for some Jews. I would say this is even a problem today when people think of God is too big or too busy so they pray to something else, taking the focus off the one who gives permission to the lightning to strike. As to a sensuous mind, this is the guru, the one that is spiritual and needs the... Con- needs to connect to the earth force and experience life in its fullest because God is in everything and we are only here for the pleasure of life. Sex is spiritual. The forest is the church. Worshiping creation instead of the created. Again, all, this either, all of this either attributes the power of God to something else or steals his glory and God's glory must be forefront and center. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. He knows the end from the beginning because he declared it. And in his declaration was how to worship, live, preach, have faith, be in church, and find salvation. These other ways, these man-made ways, they're not it. So if I make that statement, they're not it, then what is? What is the hope? Christ alone. Man cannot find salvation or achieve salvation on his own or by any road like self-denial or connection to the spiritual world. It is by Christ alone. This false path to salvation, selfism, by hard work and man-made religion and rituals has been persistent throughout all time and is still persistent today. Let no man disqualify you or judge you based on their laws, rules, or self-made righteousness. We can know what qualifies us as Christians, and that's Christ alone. In today's time, we hear being in nature is my church. Worshiping the created, not the creator. I'm spiritual. Self-made Gnosticism and superstitions. Or I believe there's a God, but there are many ways to him, and it's arrogant to think only Christian way is right, while partaking in no religion whatsoever. These are all examples of man-made religion. Now how then do we present ourselves to the infinitely holy? How do we then get into heaven? Well, to the latter question, there is no fire insurance. If your goal is to enter paradise apart from Christ, simply to enjoy a utopia, then you're going to enter hell. The answer is to look to Christ. So I'll end this point with verse 19. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Verse 19 warns us some people don't hold fast to God, but create their own religion. This means that they're not putting themselves under the authority of God. They're not citizens of the kingdom. It says they're not holding fast to the head of the church, but why would they? 
The previous verse tells us that they're prideful and puffed up, going on about their visions and self-made religions. With themselves being the savior through their own rules and judgment, don't be judged or disqualified by those that participate in these things. Christ is the king of kings, and he is what grows us. We thirst for the word that points to him. The Spirit sanctifies us to grow closer to him. And as we grow closer to each other in him, we become one bride for him. Christ is what holds us together, and Christ is sufficient. The false teachers divide and lead astray as, the en as enemies to Christ. They establish a false religion where they set the rules in holiness and righteousness. Only Christ can do this because man cannot save himself, no matter how good he thinks he is. So this brings me to my final point, point number three. Only Christ can save. Verse 20 through 22 says, If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still in the world, do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, referring to the things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings? We see here a rhetorical question answered by the previous argument. Don't be judged, don't be disqualified based on these man-made rules. Food laws are done. Asceticism doesn't take off the flesh that we're told to take off. Angels cannot intercede to save your soul. And pride is a sign of being your own idol. Paul is saying, these are the things for man. Again, it's the God plus something approach. Or even the there's another way approach. Please hear this if you hear nothing else. When we sin against God, only God can intercede for us. Only Jesus can go before the throne on our behalf. You will be destroyed in the presence of God if you go before him in your sinful state. Only Jesus has never sinned against God. Every person in this room has fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve to be judged and sentenced. But because of God's grace and glory, the Father sent his Son to be the Lamb's blood on the doorpost so that God's judgment would pass over us. Jesus put himself on that cross willingly and intentionally for every sin you have ever committed. And the Lord rightly and justly crushed him in our stead because of our sins. Our sins must be paid, for it is, God, it is just, and God is just. This was done so that, the that on Judgment Day, Jesus can stand before us and say the penalty of sin has been paid because he paid it in his own blood. But it didn't end with his death because on the third day, Jesus defeated death and is now ruling in heaven over all things. We Christians should see so much beauty in this work of Christ. All sins, past, present, and future, have been wiped clean. There was nothing we did to earn it. There was nothing we could do to clean ourselves, and this is why we respond by repenting of our sins and believing in Jesus. If you're here today and you don't understand this, if you don't understand how this gospel works, please come talk to an elder, a deacon, even the Christian sitting next to you, for it is the charge of every Christian to be able to tell this, to tell this gospel.
So to conclude this, we're concluding chapter 2. And so far we've seen all the sufficient Savior, or so far we've seen the all-sufficient Savior is the source of the believer's life and the only answer to the problems we are confronted with. We must be unified in Christ. We must be, able, be in the bride. We must understand the gospel and be in the word. We have also seen that we must be rooted in the gospel, seek after truth. Jesus is Lord, Jesus brings reconciliation, and Jesus is superior. And lastly, don't allow others to shame or draw you away from the one that saves. I said earlier that all, all these man-made religions are not the way. The way of salvation is to look to the Christ. I want to leave you with one last verse to ponder as you leave today. Romans 14, 1 through 8. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one that abstains pass judgment over the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as another, or one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observed the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whenever we live, whether, wherever we die, we are the Lord's. Now, I've just given you a whole lot of uh, don't do's, don't do's, don't do's. So uh, when Jason comes up here, he'll tell you all the do's. So with that, be here, same bat time, the same bat place to hear Jason preach. Let's pray. Lord, the church you've given us is a blessing. Having a group of people that can come together and hear your word, reason through the scriptures, sing praise to you, and hear the gospel that we need to be reminded of daily is just a blessing. May your glory be seen in all that we do here at Providence. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.